the next question topic is number three, which is the command to rule in debt before the fall. Again, this is a controversial. A common teaching of young earth creationists is that debt was only present in the universe after Adam's sin. So there was no debt of any kind before the fall of men. Ben, you have talked about the presence of debt before the fall explicitly contained the command to subdue and rule given to humanity. Could you spend that? Could you spend on that? I mean, uh, absolutely. Because uh, you have right, so videos, videos about this, <laughs> so I know you can spend on this. <laughs> so the passage in Genesis 1, I'll go ahead and read it off real quick. Mm -hmm. God blessed the man and the woman, and he said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves upon the ground. So uh, about a year ago, I went into uh, the James P. Boyce Library at uh, where I did my undergrad, and I found every single academic commentary on Genesis I could and read it on this passage. And because uh, I wanted to, uh, the primary view of most scholars is that the biblical authors contradict each other on the subject of animal death before the fall. So you have some passages that seem to refer to, of course, there was animal death before the fall. Animal death is like a natural good part of God's creation. Hmm. And then you have certain passages where uh, creationists and uh Scholars in general, a long tradition in Jewish scholarship has interpreted the Bible as containing the idea that animal death was never originally part of God's original creation, that it was never good. So my whole view of this passage changed when I ran into a doctoral thesis written by a scholar named Joshua J. Van E. And Van E. is spelled V-A-N and then double E. Mm -hmm. So this passage in Genesis 1.28, uh, God tells the man and woman to uh, subdue the earth and rule over the animals. If you look up these two words in Hebrew, subdue and rule, which we've all heard sermons where it talks about when God says this to, to the man and woman, that he's telling them that they need to take stewardship over the earth and care for the animals and care for the earth. And it's used to support environmentalism, uh, that, mm -hmm. those types of meanings. But the reality is, if you look at these verses, these uh, two words within Hebrew, every single time they occur, hmm. uh, they're quite harsh, actually. So the word kavash occurs a full total of 13 times in the Bible outside of this passage. And in every single instance, it refers to enslavement or violent conquest. Hmm. It also has an Akkadian cognate, which means the same things. So... Uh, to give you a summary of every time it's used in the Bible, six times it's used of war conquest, five times it's used for enslavement. Micah uses it once for uh, trampling underfoot, and then Esther uses it once for uh, as a locution for sexual assault. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have this other word. Uh, so you have the word subdue, and then you have the word uh, to rule. The word for rulership occurs 26 times, this particular word. And in every single instance, I didn't believe any when, when I read this. So I went and I did the work myself. I looked up every single instance in the passage, and I'm telling you, like, absolutely, the term is used for, severe, for a severe coercion. So I've created a summary of every single instance. I know people are going to be skeptical of my claim here, so I have to, I'll go ahead and read it off real quick. 
uh, Leviticus uses the word for rule or the Hebrew word rada, three times of ruling with severity. That's the quote, ruling with severity in the in that passage. Then once more, it's used of being ruled by, quote, those who hate you. Numbers 24 uses it, uses it of a ruler who, quote, destroys survivors. Judges uses it of mm. a military campaign against Canaan. And a modified form is used of Samson forcing or uh, what has been coerced, what has been translated as scraping honey out of a lion carcass. Which which so which, not- which that has to do with I mean a, a military campaign. Unless you are so nice, you're not going to kill anybody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which, whenever these two words rule and subdue are used mm-hmm. together in the Bible, it's always in reference to the Israelites being told to go conquer Canaan. <laughs> uh, yes. Let's yes, see. Uh, Kings and Chronicles uses the term of vassals that are forced to tra- pay tribute. Uh, and what are explicitly specified as Solomon's enslaved enemies. Uh, Nehemiah uses it as an exp- as a locution for the oppression of ones being ruled by, quote, one's enemies. And it talks about how they cry out to be delivered from that oppression. <laughs> Psalm 49 uses it of trampling the wicked. Psalm uh, oh, 68. Trampling the wicked is killing them. Is killing them. <laughs> Psalm 68 refers to... Uh, the rulership of Benjamin's military conquest. Psalm 72 of Israel making her enemies, quote, bow down and lick the dust. (laughs) Uh, We're getting there. Psalm 110 of the king, quote, making his enemies a footstool. Isaiah 14 of Israel, quote, possessing and, quote, enslaving its enemies. Uh, Verse 6 of ruling with, quote, unceasing anger. Isaiah 41 speaks of, quote, subduing kings, thereby, quote, turning the dust, turning the nations to dust by the sword. So, again, they're all they're all pretty harsh so far. You have Jeremiah five. Uh, it refers to ruling. Uh, let's see. The, quote, horrible and, quote, shocking rule of Israel's priests over God's people. Lamentations 113 speaks of God, quote, overpowering the lamenter. By hurling down fire on him, quote, in fierce anger. And then you have two references in Ezekiel 29 and Ezekiel chapter 34. The first refers to uh, God's judgment of the great monster of Egypt. That's the quote is great monster in the passage. And then you have Ezekiel 34 verse 4, which refers of ruling, quote, harshly and brutally. Hmm. So. I've gone through every single passage here, which is something I hadn't done before in the past uh, publicly. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> when, when I say that uh, these passages subdue and rule, like they're they're pretty harsh. They they're military terms. They refer to military conquests, to uh, essentially fighting and subduing the enemy, which has uh, to do with, which which in any any military campaign has to do with killing. That only makes sense. If uh, if God's creation mandate in Genesis one is assuming that uh, the animals had the potential to be hostile combatants, that there's a struggle with them that's going on. It's not like uh, when you go to the creation museum and uh, oh yeah, yeah I, I was gonna say that <laughs> where you've got you know you got Adam he's uh, what is it he's like side hugging a penguin and uh, he's he's petting like a leopard with his other hand and there's a T Rex in the room and that type of thing that's <laughs> That's not what's reflected here. Um, Subdued means that they were still feral. Exactly. Uh, let's see. 
Because that's how and that's how God made them. I mean, it's a good part of creation. That's why God commands us to to like the cat. We have to we have to totally train the cat because we have to subdue him. I didn't do it brutally, but I have to subdue them. Subdue the cat. So. So, um, so, and, that's and in point. reality, like when you go back and you read the passage, it talks about you need to subdue what is it? The, uh, I'll read it here. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. Like, how do you rule over fish and birds exactly? Mm. Unless you're killing them, unless you're eating the fish, unless you're eating the birds, which is what people in the ancient Near East did quite regularly. Mm. Um, and, uh, let's see. One thing that's, that's really helpful about Van E's discovery here is the fact that if you look at Genesis three, the curses, like seriously, read it very, very closely. The curses that are placed on, on, uh, mm. on creation in response to uh, Adam's sin, there's never any hint whatsoever about this idea that animals now are going to die, that this is going to be a new thing that they'll die. There's no hint that there'll be predation introduced, which is interesting because God cares about telling them about, Hey, thorns are going to grow now. But, you know, animals that, you know, wolves that eat your lambs and, and your livestock, like, there's no mention of that whatsoever. They're, they're never about so it's that. just totally unexplained by the, by the traditional interpretation. Mm. Uh, so I guess if, if your, uh, listeners are astute at all, they're probably thinking of all sorts of other passages that are cited to, uh, hold up this belief in an originally, uh, vegetarian, like, uh, harm-free creation. So I know Isaiah, for example, he talks about um, the lion will eat straw like an ox and it'll lay down with the lamb when 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 God returns in the new creation. You have passages, especially in Paul, where he talks about all creation groans yes. uh, from death. And, and uh, what is it? Romans five. Uh, Adam, through sin, introduced death into the world. Mm. Uh, what all? I won't go all of the over all of those now. I, I intend to do that in a future video, uh, one of my next ones. But uh, Van E, he's published a paper in the journal Biblical Literature you can find online, which talks about the Isaiah passages, which uh, it's absolutely like uh, his interpretation of those passages is absolutely astonishing, like uh, extremely, extremely powerful. Now that we know this about ancient Israelite religion, that they didn't believe in this original notion of animal death, of uh, of animal peace, I mean. When it comes to the passages in Paul, uh, the research that I've invested in those passages shows that if you just go read them, it's actually kind of funny. Like, they're pretty obviously and explicitly directed at human beings, uh, not at animals. That when Adam inherit, when in Romans 5, when Adam brings death into the world, for example, the passages directly uh, specifying human beings that it's the whole point of the ancient Near Eastern uh, creation account is that you have the tree of life and Adam and Eve, they had contingent immortality. And once they sinned, they lost access to that. And that's how death spreads to all of humanity. The tree of life. Uh, what those passages don't care about, what they don't talk about, what Paul is not talking about when he's talking to the church is, is animals mm. in those passages. Which is interesting. I mean, um, Paul is very selective what he wants to say to the churches. Um, I sometimes I think that it's because um, Paul knows that they're not 
I mean, the churches that he's writing to are mainly in Turkey today, Turkey and and a bit west, a bit western from Turkey, uh, and they don't usually hold the same ancient Near Eastern myth cosmolo, cos, cosmology cosmology as as he did or as he was aware. I, I, I mean, and, and Paul was Turkish, <laughs> was Turkish as well. So uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of uh, Greek influence. Yes. But. Uh, I actually just, since I'm not a New Testament guy so much as an Old Testament guy, I threw, I threw my interpretation at a uh, Mark Seifert, who's a Pauline scholar. Yes. Or, no, it wasn't Mark Seifert. Uh, George Carraway, he's a Pauline scholar at a... Sorry, man. I can't remember which theological seminary, but he told me just point blank, yeah, I think you're correct. Paul's not, he doesn't care about animals in these passages. It's like the rapture. He doesn't care about babies. <laughs> which is this is something that happens which I think you're probably familiar with is like there's all these verses that we have memorized uh, like John 3.16 that sort of thing where we invest loads and loads and loads of theology into them but if you go read them in their original context like we almost treat them like magical like like this amulytic function uh, linguistically mm. where they represent all these concepts, but in their original context, like they're actually quite specified, quite narrow on what they, what they're communicating. Mm. So, so, so yeah. 316, so John 316 is not, is neither Calvinistic or Armenian. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to go there with you. Yeah, well, it, it doesn't matter because they didn't exist at the time. So, <laughs> So that's an, so anachron, I, when people want to talk to me about it, I said, that's an anachronistic discussion. They don't care. Yes. John didn't yeah. care. So yeah. why? So and, and people get people get, get desperate with me because I said, if he didn't care, I don't care. <laughs> so yeah, but you have to answer what to, you just to satisfy your 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 um your um your uh, thirst for um, gossip or something. Okay, <laughs> that's that's good. Anyway. 